we can't always live on the mountaintop. That we can't be on a spiritual high every day. In fact, we've learned that most of our time is spent down in the valley. But there are also times, certain times, divine appointments where we are in the desert for particular reasons known to God that He reveals to us maybe a little later in life. What do we do when we are praying earnestly and seeking God fervently, and yet we hear nothing? When our faith is strong because of the promises of God, and yet we see nothing happening around us? When we know by faith, and we are trusting God by faith, and yet we feel nothing? What do we do when God delays? Listen to the Word of God speak as Pastor Lee shares an episode from the life of Abram and Sarai. Two ordinary people going through normal spiritual experiences that put their faith to the test. You'll find this story in Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16, and we will look at uh, the entire chapter uh, this morning at a message entitled, When God Delays, When God Delays, And so I'm not going to read uh, to you from the text to start with. I want to get us started and then we are going to read each verse of the text as we make our way through this message. Um, I believe we see here a text that helps us understand a little bit about what not to do when God delays. Today we're looking at a uh, familiar passage of Scripture. One that, that I believe contains the idea of the dark night of the soul. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase or not. It was a phrase that was coined in the, uh, to describe a poem that uh, John of the Cross wrote. He was a monk in the 16th century. Dark night of the soul. It's also uh, referred to as a desert experience in the Christian life. It's a time in our lives when God is silent. When, try as we may, we just don't seem to be hearing anything from God. It's a time when we, uh, it seems as though our, our prayers are bouncing off of the ceiling, and surprisingly, we are absent of spiritual feelings. It's when we've entered into a season of spiritual dryness and dullness. Many uh, Christians who've gone before us have testified to moments like this, to times, to, to periods of times in their lives when they've experienced these desert times. When they've walked through maybe what they called spiritual lethargy, sometimes even being bored or frustrated or angry and maybe even depressed. Most of us have lived long enough to know. If you're a believer and you've been a believer for any length of time, You've lived long enough to know that we can't always live on the mountaintop. That we can't be on a spiritual high every day. In fact, we've learned that most of our time is spent down in the valley. But there are also times, certain times, divine appointments where we are in the desert for particular reasons known to God that He reveals to us maybe 
a little later in life. Sometimes these seasons of life are short. Sometimes they're longer than we really want them to be. Desert experiences are often linked to God's delays. In fact, you might say that God's delays uh, could be an entryway into those times in our lives. When we are praying earnestly and we are seeking God fervently and yet we hear nothing. When our faith is strong because of the promises of God and yet we see nothing happening around us. When we know by faith and we are trusting God by faith and yet we feel nothing. We tend to ask, what in the world is wrong with me? Right? We tend to say, something has got to be wrong with me. The good news is that nothing is wrong with you and nothing is wrong with me when we go through spiritual desert places, places in our lives that can be excruciating. Uh, one of the books that I've been reading lately points out that we are not abnormal or less committed Christians for going through these dry spells. We do not need to uncover some buried sins that are stealing our joy. We are simply average Christians going through a normal spiritual process. Now, as we read Genesis chapter 16, we discover that Abraham and Sarah are going through a normal spiritual process. A time when it seemed to them that God was not working, or at least not working fast enough. You ever been there? Uh, maybe even doubting whether or not God was going to do what he said he was going to do. Abraham and Sarah were armed with the knowledge of God and the promises of God, and yet we find them struggling. Now, looking at it from our vantage point, understanding a little bit about the story, having read that story before maybe, we could say that they are experiencing a divine delay. A divine delay. So I want us to consider from this text this morning what not to do when God delays. Interestingly enough, chapter 16 gives us a picture from the life of Abraham and Sarah of what not to do when God delays. The first thing I want you to notice is in verses 1 and 2. That is this, don't equate... God's delay with God's denial. Don't equate God's delay with God's denial. In chapter 16, verse 1, Abram's wife, Sarah, had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarah said to Abram, Since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, Go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarai had said. Now, Abraham and Sarah are examples of a married couple. 
who made assumptions about how God was not going to work in their lives. That's what just happened in those first two verses. They made assumptions about what God was not going to do. They assumed that because he hadn't done anything yet, that it meant he was denying their request, their desire for a child. It's interesting to note that these two people of faith came to this conclusion even after God had promised them otherwise. That's what you studied last week, I believe, in Genesis chapter 15. The first six verses there tell us about the conversation that Abraham had with God and where God had promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. In the case of Abraham and Sarah, God was not denying them a child. He was simply delaying. Now, let's qualify that for just a moment. What seems like a delay to us is right on time with God. And so while, while in our minds we may see it a certain way, uh, God understands what He's doing and when He's doing it, right? In fact, Isaiah chapter 55 and verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We do not know the mind of God. And we, it's, it's really a, probably a good thing that we don't know what the future holds. And yet it might seem to us that he is delaying. I remember years ago, many years ago, I was a youth pastor and I was uh, kind of beginning to lean into preaching and I thought, well, I'll soon get a chance to be a pastor. And uh, the more I preached, the more I felt called to it and was really wanting to, to be a pastor of a church. Uh, and so my pastor was gracious enough to let me go uh, when I'd get a call to, to fill in, and a lot of these churches didn't have pastors. And every one I went to, I would preach with the hope that they're going to call me back. It was silent. I went to one little church, and uh, in the south, we, we, we call it a church that was in the sticks. Uh, there was You couldn't see a house or anything from where the unpainted cinder block building was with cinder blocks to step up onto into the building. There's a handful of people there. I preached like there was 10,000 people. Got in the car with Christy driving off, and I said, man, I hope they call me. I didn't get a call. It seemed like one of the things that I was wanting most in my life at that time, which, hey, isn't that a good desire? Wouldn't that be a good desire? What's, what's the matter here? It seemed as though I was being denied what I thought God was calling me to do. What, in essence, he had told me I was going to do. A few months later, I get a phone call. Actually, they, le they left a message on an answering machine. Anybody remember what those are? It's on an answering machine. 
in our little trailer. And, uh, and the message was, we want to talk to you uh, about maybe giving your resume to this church. And it was, a, it was a friend of my grandfather's. There were some connections there. God worked it out. Long story short, I, that was my first church to pastor at the age of 23. Here's another phrase from the South. Bless their hearts. <laughs> God's delays do not mean denial all the time. Might he say no to us? Yes. Yes. Might he deny in some ways and of some things? Yes. But according to this text and other passages, we have to conclude that it's a both and. We cannot always say that what seems like God's denial, uh, God's delay, or God's denial is, I messed it all up. We can't always say what seems to be a delay is God denying us. It's, it, it might simply mean that we are to wait. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. Secondly, in verses 3 through 6, don't turn God's delay into unnecessary difficulties. Don't turn God's delay into unnecessary difficulties. Beginning there in verse 3. So Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan ten years. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And when she saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between me and you. Abram replied to Sarai, Here, is, uh, here your slave is in your power. Do whatever you want with her. Then Sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. Now, we know Abraham as a man of faith. I mean, the Old Testament, when we think about characters in the Old Testament, Abraham stands out as a man of faith, and indeed he was. But he was also human, like you and like me. At this moment in his spiritual journey, his flesh triumphs over his faith. He became impatient, and he began to reason within himself. He began to reason with his wife about how to solve this problem. I mean, after all, God was moving a little too slow. He and Sarah took things into their own hands. They came up with a plan one that seemed really, really good, and they thought that they had solved the problem. By the way, polygamy was never a part of God's plan for marriage. If it had been, then he would have given Eve three or four wives. I mean, Adam, three or four wives. 
So anytime you read about it, it's, it's not because it's ordained by God. It's because man decided that he was going to do it a different way. And they were, they were scattered amidst uh, here. He had been in Canaan for 10 years, a polygamous group of people, a, poly, a polygamous nation. And what had happened was over the years, as God's people continued to mix with other nations, they were influenced by their polygamous ways. And so here's what you have to know about this. What looked like a legitimate uh, solution would have never been acceptable to God. What they realized after the fact was that no real problem existed. They created their own problem. No real problem existed and that their decisions led to unnecessary difficulties. Here's a phrase for you. This was the fruit of impatience in the things of God. What, what does it look like? What, what is the fruit of being impatient in the things of God? Well, well, here we have an example of that. Abram and Sarah turned God's delay into unnecessary difficulties, and we see the domino effect, and wrong after wrong after wrong after wrong occurs. You see, and those wrong behaviors were filled, and you can, you can read it in the, in the text, those wrong behaviors were filled with sinful attitudes and powerful emotions and created quite the domestic dispute between husband and wife and one other person, Sarah, I mean uh, Hagar. Now, not only was that, not only does that encompass the difficulties that we see that they created, there's one more that we don't have time to really unpack. Some of you realize that what happens here, because they turned God's delay into unnecessary difficulties, we now have a religion called Islam. The fruit of impatience in the things of God. Remember that. Because we're seeing it unfold in their lives. Have you ever taken matters into your own hands? I mean, have you ever been impatient with God and allowed your flesh to win over your faith? And as a result, experienced more difficulties and heartaches than what was necessary. If you are breathing, you can probably say yes to that question. Rather than wait on the Lord, rather than accept the answer that he is giving us, rather than persevering through desert experiences, we choose to do our own thing. But we are warned time and time in the scriptures about going our own way. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, Acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not rely on your own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding. Adam and Eve leaned on their own understanding and ate of the fruit. Moses leaned on his 
on understanding in the spur of the moment and struck a rock, was not able to enter into the promised land. Abraham and Sarah leaning on their own understanding. My grandfather used to tell me, he was my mentor, he passed away several years ago. He would say, son, if you can learn from your mistakes, you're doing good. But if you can learn from somebody else's mistakes, you're doing even better. So today we're learning from somebody else's mistakes so that we don't turn God's delays into unnecessary difficulties. And then the third thing I want you to notice is that we don't need to assume that God's delay means God is distant. That's sort of a place I think we might find ourselves when we're experiencing the dark night of the soul because it seems that way and maybe feels like he is distant. There in verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring in the wilderness. The spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She replied, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. So, Hagar's answer is, is, this is where I'm coming from, but she doesn't say where she's going because she doesn't know. She's lost. The angel of the Lord said to her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her authority. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring, and they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her, do you notice that's three times? The angel of the Lord said to her, you have conceived and will have a son. You will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. This man will be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. He will settle near all his relatives. So she named the Lord who spoke to her. You are El Roy, for she said, In this place I have actually seen the one who sees me. That is why the well is called Ber Laha Roy. It is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave birth to Abraham's son, and Abram, uh, Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was, six, uh, was 86 years old, when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Don't assume God's delay means God is distant. It might have seemed to the characters in this story that God was far from their circumstances, far removed from their circumstances, especially when emotions began to run high and more bad decisions were made that led to the mistreatment of Abraham by Sarah and that led to the mistreatment of Hagar by Sarah and eventually uh, broke everything down uh, to uh, having her run away. In this story, people are certainly acting contrary to God's will. But he is still right there with 
This part of the story is a powerful portrayal of God's persistent love for all who are involved, including Hagar, who at the time did not share the faith of Abraham and Sarah. Now think about that for a moment. She's an Egyptian. She does not believe in the God of Abraham. And this is how she's treated by the believer. It's a demonstration, though, in her life and in the lives of the other two of Romans 8.28. The Bible says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. At this point in the story, we tend to say, so picture Hagar sitting down, um, she's tired, she's hot, she's pregnant, she's thirsty. We, we preachers tend to say, and man, at this point, point in time, God showed up. But if we know anything about the nature and work of God, we have to say, He's been there all along. He didn't, just, he didn't just get there. He's not been distant in any of these circumstances. He was there during the conversation that Abraham and Sarai had, one of distrusting him and taking things into their own hands. He was there when Abraham and Hagar were united. He was there when Hagar was um, holding Sarai in contempt. He was there when Sarah was mistreating her and when he was, when she was, by the way, blaming, it was her idea to start with, but now she's blaming Abraham. He was there when Hagar ran away. What felt like distance to these people was simply a matter of God allowing them to exercise their free will and Him in His perfect timing working all those things together for their good and for His glory. Amen? I mean, they made a mess of things. God's cleaning it up. Some interesting things here uh, about this last section. This is the, the first appearance of the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. And many scholars think that it's a Christophany. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is very interesting in the context that we find it. <laughs> because the angel of the Lord... Jesus, pre-incarnate, pursues the lost woman into the wilderness. Listen. The angel of the Lord, the first appearance of the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is not to Abraham. It's not to Sarah. It's to a lost woman 
unbelieving Egyptian woman who's been mistreated by God's people. And we're reminded in the book of Peter that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. And then as the angel of the Lord encounters her and has conversations and things to say to her, she is being changed. She's being transformed because what she's going to do is get up and go back, submit. But she also uses a few names. She's given a name, and then she gives the Lord a name. She's given the name Ishmael. You know what the name Ishmael means? These go right along with the idea that he wasn't distant. The Lord heard my cry. And then she says, the Lord Elroy, the God who sees me. Hey, when you're going through desert places, remember these two names. Remember that he is the God who hears our cries and that he is the God who sees us. Even in the, the, even in the delays or what seem to be delays in our lives, God hears our cries, He sees our tears, He sees us. He is never distant, though we may ourselves at times wander away and make ourselves feel like He is. God's delays often serve as an entryway to seasons of spiritual dryness. When these dark nights of the soul come upon us, we tend to feel like God is resisting us or that He is denying us. We tend to take things into our own hands and make a real mess of things. We may even become confused and we may even become depressed thinking that God is keeping His distance from us. Not so, says the Word of God. Not so. I don't know what you may be going through this morning. I don't know if you're on the mountaintop, in the valley, or in the desert. My guess that is, in this crowd, crowd this size, there are some of you who are experiencing a dark, the dark night of the soul. You feel all alone. You don't feel anything spiritually. You don't seem to be hearing anything from God. You don't see anything happening around you. And you don't know what to do. You're, you're at a place where... You may be confused and you may even be headed towards a depressed state. I want to just say, this doesn't make it any easier for us, but these times serve as test. Here's another phrase I want you to take with you today. Test in the silence of God. The test of the silence of God. is an opportunity to act spiritually even when you're not hearing anything or feeling anything or seeing anything. It actually is an opportunity not only to act spiritually but to act in faith. What are we to do when God delays? What are we? I, I'm assuming some of you here this morning are waiting on God for something, because that's a place we tend to be in a lot. What are we to do when God is silent? 
What are we to do when we sense nothing, feel nothing, hear nothing, see nothing? I know I've used those words already with you a couple times, but that's powerful. That's, that's where we find ourselves at times. What are we to do when we are in a spiritually dry place? Well, we know what not to do from the story of Abraham and Sarah. But here's a few things to wrap this up that you might want to consider. First of all, remember that others have walked this path before you. You are not the only one experiencing these types of things. The dryness, the emptiness sometimes. And what we've read throughout history, in our Bibles and throughout history is that people that walk through these things end up closer to the Lord on the other side of it. The other thing I would say is keep on praying and keep on reading God's Word. Don't stop. Don't throw your hands up and say, well, I'm not hearing anything. Keep on keeping on. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. The Lord is at work in the dry times. And then trust God. And our favorite word, wait. Trust God and wait. But... but Let's think about that for a moment. The idea of waiting does not mean doing nothing, right? When the, when the disciples were gathered in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, they weren't doing nothing. They were waiting, but they weren't doing nothing. They were praying. They were seeking God. So trust God and wait, but serve Him faithfully while you are waiting. Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who trust in the Lord or wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not Thank you for listening to The Word of God Speak the sermon podcast of Pastor Lee Merck. We hope that you were blessed by today's episode.